Welcome to the Gut Gazette podcast, where we have gutsy conversations about everything related to your gut. Mental health, food, relationships, exercise, there are so many factors that are linked to your gut, and here we talk about them all. I'm your host, Megan Marsiglio, and I'm on a mission to break the poo taboo, support digestive health, and destigmatize digestive issues. My passion for gut health stems from personal experience. I have IBS and Crohn's, and I know firsthand what it's like to live with a gut that has a mind of its own. But I've come to terms with the fact that it's my normal, and because of that, I've learned to embrace it. My goal is to have you embracing whatever it is you're going through. I hope to inspire self-advocacy in all of you, and after listening to each episode, my intention is you walk away feeling confident and empowered about your gut, mind, and body. Here it is, episode one of the Gut Gazette podcast. I'm so excited to finally be doing this. I've been thinking about creating this other extension of the Gut Gazette for a while now, and just a few weeks ago, I finally ordered my podcast mic and got to work on it. I, like I said, wanted this to be another extension of the Gut Gazette just to further the conversation around gut health really get people talking, expand the Gut Gazette community, and connect with other experts and like-minded individuals. After listening to each episode, as I mentioned in the intro, I hope that you leave feeling empowered and confident about yourself in all aspects, mind, body, and gut. And I mean, although the gut is part of the body, it is remarkable how powerful it really is. You've probably heard how the gut has a mind of its own, but it really does, and we'll be diving into all this juicy info in upcoming episodes. So for this episode, I thought I would just give you a little bit of a background of who I am, what I do, why I started the Gut Gazette, and what my plans are for this podcast. My name's Megan Marsiglio. I'm a multi-passion entrepreneur I'm the founder of the Gut Gazette, but I also run a marketing and communications business called Bloom Agency. I was born and raised in Toronto, and I still live here now with my husband, Rob, who I met at the University of Guelph. I love the whole wellness scene. I'm big into yoga, meditation. I love to follow the latest and greatest health food trends. I love golfing, spending time outside. I'm always down for a good dinner party and especially hosting them. And I just love to be in the kitchen. I love to cook, bake. My happy place is hanging out at home, sweatpants on, and spending time with Rob, our dog Maya, and family and friends. Now, minus the mention of my husband, after saying all this, it really did sound a little bit like a dating profile, but that is me in a nutshell. So the Gut Gazette. This little baby of mine is actually not so much a baby anymore. It is 10 years old, and a lot of people don't realize how long I've had it going on just because it really has transitioned and gone through different stages in itself. I started it in 2009, right after I was diagnosed with Crohn's, and it's funny when you look back at the posts that I posted early on in 2009 they were very short um, and a lot of them focused on 
my journey with my new diagnosis, I really started the Gut Gazette to just connect with other people going through the same thing. And then as I began blogging more and figuring out the whole blog world, which was very new 10 years ago, I ended up kind of making it more of a food blog just because I love to cook. I shared my recipes um, and back then I was, uh, I started out with a gluten-free diet. I'm still gluten-free, so it really kind of transitioned into a gluten-free lifestyle blog. I'll get more into how the Gut Gazette has transitioned and become what it has, but I thought I would just give you a little info about my guts. So before I was diagnosed, I spent a good three years trying to figure out what was going on. It all started when I was 16, 2006. I was at summer camp right before grade 11, and I started to feel crazy pain every time I ate. That pain would last a few hours, and then it would go away, and then it would ramp back up again even before I ate. Then I thought maybe I needed to eat something, and it would just escalate. It was it was really bad. I, was, um, I wasn't experiencing diarrhea at the time, but the pain was awful. The bloating was bad. I went to the camp doctor and because I wasn't having any abnormal stools or anything she she thought probably just had to up my fiber I mean at camp you're as much as you're being fed healthy food you're not eating the healthiest you're having a lot of refined carbs candy um you're eating as much dessert as you can it's camp you're away from your parents and anyway, I had to switch out my Fruit Loops and Frosted Flakes in the morning for Bran Buds. So I went a couple weeks just eating Bran Buds. She said it could take a while for the fiber to kick in. So I just, I waited and hoped that it would. Once I got back from camp, uh, I went and saw my family doctor because the symptoms weren't getting any better. And she told me to keep on the fiber, reduce my dairy, it could be lactose intolerant. So I did that. For a couple months at the beginning of high school, I felt like my, when I look back, I think my guts were not so bad, but then they kind of flared back up and I was starting to have a lot of loose stools and diarrhea. I was going 10 to 12 times a day. Mornings were the worst. Um... I lost my period, so I started to see a traditional Chinese medicine doctor. Um, Of course, I saw my my family doctor as well, but I was trying to figure out, or I was trying to work with all these other doctors just to see if they could help. So I saw the traditional Chinese medicine doctor. I was seeing an acupuncturist. Um, a holistic nutritionist, dietitian, naturopath, you name it, I saw. And nobody could really figure out what was going on. Was it hormones? Was it a food intolerance, an allergy? Uh, It was just very difficult to pinpoint it because I wasn't having blood in my stools. I wasn't vomiting. I wasn't having any signs of blockages. Um... So there was really no concern to send me to a specialist at the time. 
Uh, grade 12 came along, symptoms were getting worse. My anxiety about these symptoms was really increasing. I mean, I hated going to school because my symptoms were worse in the morning and I didn't want to be raising my hand every 20 minutes in first and second period to ask to be excused. So that was stressful in itself. I was stressed about writing exams in these big rooms knowing that I was probably going to have to go to the bathroom. I was stressed going to these, um, we had these assemblies twice a week where we were, we were all in this theater and if I wasn't at the end of an aisle or close to a door, I would get so anxious thinking I'm not going to make it to the bathroom in time. And there were a couple times where I had that scare. So school was awful. I hated school and the stress of that probably did increase my symptoms even more, but that wasn't the cause of my symptoms. I then got referred to see a social worker because it was all the stress of high school and it was probably in my head and so I did. I spoke to a social worker. I couldn't say that helped and at the end of it all, it was just IBS. I was going to have to figure it out with trial and error. Um, the end of grade 12, my parents and I, we finally put our foot down and said we need to see a specialist. So I was referred to a gastroenterologist and like everyone else, he said, it's just IBS, take Benefiber, Metamucil, and make sure you're drinking enough water. So that's what I did. Uh, I mean, the specialist wasn't concerned. My symptoms were still getting worse. I mean, at this point, I think they kind of plateaued. I wasn't I wasn't uh, getting so bad that I had to be hospitalized or anything. I never did. I went into my first year at university. I had a private room, which I was so thankful for. And I would wake up at 6 6.30 in the morning before anybody else on my floor woke up and I would use the washroom as much as I had to because there was only one stall and when I was using the washroom, I was having diarrhea. I mean, I did not want other people to be in the bathroom waiting for me to come out or wondering what that smell was. Like, I was just so embarrassed. I didn't want to talk about it and I did what I had to do. So I would go to bed super early I would wake up really early, use the washroom, and then I would eat my breakfast and wait about 20-25 minutes for it to all start again because once I ate, everything left my system. So I would eat breakfast early, relieve myself, get it all out of my system, and then I would be ready for my first class or I would um, be ready to start the day but I was so tired and I was so weak because I would eat breakfast it would leave my system and then I wasn't eating until lunch because I didn't really want to have any worry of needing to go to the bathroom in lecture and lecture was a whole other worry of its own because as much as I tried to get lecture classes or just classes, I don't know why I'm calling them lecture classes, um, later in the morning, there were still those classes at 8.30 that I couldn't avoid and I had to take. 
and 8.30 was still in that time frame of an, a very unhappy gut. And I was just so nervous that I would have to excuse myself in front of all these people, all these students, and get up to use the washroom. So what I did was get to class super early, find a seat at the very back of the row closest to the exit so that if I had to, I could get up and go. And of course I did. But being in that very end seat, end of the aisle, just really removed myself from that whole first year experience of meeting your other classmates in your program. Fortunately, I had a lot of friends in residence, but you you do want to make those connections early on in university with the students in your program because you're going to be going through the next four or five years with them. So anyway, that was my situation with lectures. Um, my symptoms were not getting better with this fiber and water diet. So I shouldn't say diet. I was obviously eating as well, but like I had mentioned, my GI had told me to up the fiber, up the water to see how things improved. I was I was also doing a lot of mindfulness activity to get me less stressed. I was going to yoga and I was reading up on mindfulness because he had mentioned that stress could aggravate these symptoms. Uh, so I, I did what I could, but my symptoms were not getting better and it was concerning because I was very underweight. I was tired most of the time. I was going 10 to 12 times a day to the bathroom, which is not normal. And I was having these excruciating pains that had me doubled over for hours and days. So my parents and I, we put our foot down again and had to advocate for further testing. So I had an endoscopy, a small barium follow-through, and a colonoscopy. And after that colonoscopy, in February of 2009, still in my first year of university, they found five ulcers in my lower small intestine and diagnosed me with Crohn's disease. I was so relieved to know what I was actually dealing with because up until that point, I didn't feel like anyone was listening to me. I just felt so frustrated with what I was dealing with and I was just given this, I thought I was just given this free-for-all diagnosis of IBS because they couldn't figure it out. I really was so relieved. I was given medication, Pentassa, for those of you who might know it, and it was, it. they are these massive tablets. I don't take them anymore, but they are the size of um, like a vitamin C chewable vitamin, and I had to take eight of them. So I took four in the morning, four at night, and to some extent, they really did help my symptoms, which was great. I also um, saw a dietitian who helped me with my meal plans. I saw a naturopath who got me on a bunch of different supplements, now knowing what she was dealing with, because at the time, I, I just came to her saying I had IBS or, you know, everyone was trying to figure it out. So now having this diagnosis, people were better able to help me heal. And 
the next few years after my diagnosis were really a journey of healing. After the diagnosis, knowing what I had, I felt a little bit more open to share what was going on because at the time I couldn't, I, I didn't know what to say. Like, oh, I have chronic diarrhea or I don't know why I feel sick all the time, but I do. So being able to say, yeah, I go to the bathroom because I have Crohn's or I can't eat that because it will flare up my issues was a lot easier to say. Now, although I was more comfortable sharing what was going on, I still had a lot of anxiety around the bathroom, whether or not I would make it to the bathroom, whether there would be a bathroom close by. So I ended up talking with the social worker on campus just about all of these bathroom anxieties I had. I was not taking public transportation. I wasn't getting in a car with anybody who didn't fully know my situation. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't going in cars with random people, but I wasn't um, comfortable taking I wasn't comfortable getting into a friend of a friend's car and going on a day trip or, you know, those kind of things or or getting a ride back from a friend's mom or dad. Uh, to the city or back to university I just avoided that at all costs because I didn't want to ever put myself in a situation that could be super embarrassing in first year I took the Greyhound back to Toronto a lot and that was such an ordeal every time I did that because I basically would I'd schedule the bus ride to be in the evenings because I knew that the t- by the time six o'clock, seven o'clock rolled around, my stomach was not as bad as it was in the morning. So what I would do, and this is not advice at all, do not do this, but what I did because I was so nervous about the fact that I was going to have to get on an hour and a half long bus ride later on in the evening, I would have my breakfast, I would do my thing, have I would have to go to the bathroom a bunch of times. Um, And then I would have a very little snack around lunchtime. And then I wouldn't eat until I got home later that evening. I would take a bunch of Imodium. And although Imodium helped, I still was... it, it, It didn't fully block everything. So I was still using the washroom. So anyway, I would make sure I was fully relieved by the time I got on the bus. Once I got on the bus, I was exhausted because I didn't have any food in my body. Um, And my blood sugar was obviously low, so I felt like shit. And then by the time I got home and I ate, I would just feel even worse because I'm now eating for the first time in hours and I would usually experience some crazy stomach pains. So a day of travel was not fun for me. And then going back on the Greyhound to to university I would have the same I would have the same issues it just was not fun so anyway I saw a social worker to talk about those anxieties and she had mentioned it would be really good to connect with other people and talk about 
these issues that I was having with other people so that I that I didn't feel so alone because I really did feel like I was the only one in the world nervous about where the next bathroom would be like that's not an anxiety people talk about unfortunately there were not any support groups on campus she had mentioned that maybe I go to the health center and ask if there were any groups because she wasn't aware of any and I did that and she was right there weren't there were support groups on campus for every other illness and condition you could think about except for digestive disorders so I took it online and I started googling about people with Crohn's and just try to find somebody else who was going through what I was going through and I ended up coming across two Toronto bloggers who documented and wrote about what they were going through and back then 10 years ago blogging was super new there were not many bloggers out there but the bloggers who were out there the only way that they were communicating with each other was through commenting on each other's blogs and Twitter and Instagram and even connecting your blog to Facebook that wasn't a thing back then so this was the only way to communicate And instead of just being one of those anonymous commenters, I wanted to have a platform of my own so that I could come across as reputable, even though I was just starting out and or just coming across as an actual person. So I decided I need to start a blog. And I was at the cottage one weekend and I just started brainstorming how I could create this blog, what the name would be, and the Gut Gazette came about. And the Gut Gazette was born, and I I started it on Blogger. It goes like thegutgazette.blogspot.com. And I used it to connect with these two ladies who I had met um, online who also had Crohn's. And it really just opened my eyes in realizing that I wasn't the only one going through it. And then it made me realize... How many other people probably feel so alone in this and there really needs to be a support group at the university. So with that, I did my research to figure out how I could start a support group on campus and I ended up coming across the Center for Students with Disabilities who was behind a lot of these other groups. And uh, since then, since I graduated, the Center for Students with Disabilities, the CSD, the name has been changed to Student Accessibility Services, which I think is such a more inclusive name than using the term disabilities. But anyway, I went to the CSD and I got set up with an advisor named Barry and he helped me create this group. He was so supportive and 100% behind me on it. When I came to him with this vision, he told me that there were so many other students that he saw who had Crohn's, colitis, IBS, or or any other digestive disorder that felt very alone in this. And he, he really did think it would be a success. And like with anything, the group started out small, but it did turn into a successful group. Uh, there was, I think, like 30 people on my roster, and we would meet twice a month, and we would just share and discuss and talk about what was going on, and it was just such a great outlet to connect with these other people who were going through 
the exact same things. And this support group really ignited this excitement to advocate and discuss about digestive health issues. I just didn't want to feel embarrassed anymore about talking about them, and I didn't want other people to either. So from the support group, I became more involved with the CSD. I would partake in their CSD days where they would have booths set up around the university center advocating and providing more awareness about issues students were dealing with on campus in terms of health and mental health and I I would set up my digestive disorder booth and I had a lot of help from the Canadian Digestive Health Foundation. They sent me pamphlets on different disorders and I really would advocate for that to other students. Unfortunately when I graduated the support group graduated as well nobody took it over from me but I still stayed in touch with a couple of the people that I met through that group. It was so nice to just and it still is nice to send them a text and say oh, I'm dealing with this and and knowing that they understand what I'm going through because as much as you can talk to family and friends about what you're going through, there's not that full level of understanding. Now, back to the Gut Gazette. When I first started it in first year and going into second year, it was really just a platform for me to document my journey with Crohn's. But in second year, once I created this support group, I didn't really need to use this platform to connect with other people online anymore because I had this group of people in real life. So I ended up transforming it into being a gluten-free lifestyle blog. I became gluten-free about eight months, I would say, after my Crohn's diagnosis. One of the naturopaths or dietitians that I saw suggested I try it. Um, I wasn't celiac and I wasn't, um, I didn't have any positive response to having a gluten allergy, but they said sometimes having a gluten allergy is hard to detect, so why don't you try going on a gluten-free diet? So I did that and within weeks I felt so much better. My symptoms were reduced and I found that when I ate gluten, it would cause a flare-up. So I was gluten-free. And 10 years ago, nine years ago, gluten-free was very hard to find. There was only a couple specialty stores in Guelph. And then there was a store in Kitchener that I would drive to every so often called Grandma's Gluten-Free. It's not there anymore, but it was packed with gluten-free. It's very similar to um, Goodbye Gluten in Toronto on Avenue Road. And then when I'd come back to Toronto, there was really just a couple stores that I would go to, like Whole Foods, um... The specialty store at Sick Kids has gluten-free and and then there were a couple gluten-free products at the Canadian Superstore, but otherwise it was hard to come by. And I and my family, we had to be pretty creative and coming up with recipes that tasted good. And my love for cooking was ignited again because I was in the kitchen more experimenting and I thought I have to share these recipes with other people and they weren't just gluten-free but they were also free of like tomatoes and dairy and kaisine. I was I really was very restrictive with my diet in the early stages just trying to figure everything out so I would share these recipes on the blog and 
the Gut Gazette became a gluten-free lifestyle blog, and I did that for a few years. Then once, once I was done university, once I started my career, I ended up kind of putting the Gut Gazette on the back burner. I didn't really have a whole lot of time for it anymore, although I still was involved in the digestive health community. And then back in May of last year, so it's been a year now, I thought I really need to start the Gut Gazette back up again. I didn't want it to be a gluten-free lifestyle blog, but I didn't want it to just all go to waste. I really wanted this blog of mine to be back up and running. And I did my research and I was looking around online and I thought there really isn't anything for digestive health advocacy going on. I mean, there's the Canadian Digestive Health Foundation, which is the foundation of the Canadian Association of Gastroenterology, and they do an amazing, amazing job of advocating and creating education and awareness for digestive health, but there there wasn't any personal side to it. So I thought, you know what? The Gut Gazette is going to be a digestive health platform for everyone and anyone. You don't have to have a digestive issue to be involved in this community. Um, it's not restrictive to just Crohn's or IBS. It's open for everyone. And I wanted to create this community so that we could all work together in breaking this poo taboo and destigmatizing digestive health issues and just creating more awareness and, and a, a bigger conversation about it. So that's what I did last May. And since then, it's been amazing. I've I've loved seeing the community grow. I've got a really I got a really great response from the rebrand and the relaunch. In December of last year, I launched a couple new products or not not new, brand new products for the Gut Gazette. One's called Eau de Toilet. It is a toilet bowl drop to use before you poop. And then healing heat heating packs, which are just beautiful heating packs. My hope is that when people use them, they kind of stir up a conversation because people will notice the, the fun patterns of them and just ask why, they, why they're using it or, and hoping that people are comfortable sharing in the fact that maybe they're having a flare-up at work and they just need a little bit of heat to help heal them or maybe they, they're having period cramps and, um, you know, I just am all for... I'm all for starting conversations around taboo topics, and that's kind of my aim with the Gut Gazette as well. So anyway, I did that in December, and then in March, the Gut Gazette hosted our first event, which was really great, Movement and Mindfulness for Digestion, and we had 24 people come out. We did some yoga for digestion. We had the authors of Let That Shit Go do a mindfulness activity with us and it was just a really beautiful evening and I'm excited to share more events that we'll be having in the future. So for now that's just a little snapshot of what I've gone through with my gut journey and how the Gut Gazette evolved. I really wanted to make this first episode all about me (laughs) just so that you could fully understand why I'm doing the Gut Gazette and where my passion has stemmed from. With future episodes, get ready for a lot of gutsy conversations with a whole bunch of different experts and individuals. We're going to be talking about literally everything that can be linked to the gut. There will even be topics you probably didn't even realize were linked to the gut, but you'll have to stay tuned for those ones. 
New episodes are going to be released every Tuesday. And to stay up to date with these new episodes, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to further advocate and up up the conversation about gut health and gut health issues, share this podcast with everyone you know, or at least with your friends who you think would be interested. So thank you for listening to episode one, and I can't wait for you to tune in to our second episode. Let's connect online. The next time you're on your favorite platform, look up the Gut Gazette and feel free to say hello. Or if you fancy a read, head over to thegutgazette.com for all things gut.